why it seems like we have more <laughs> ego um, wrought up in what we do. Let's just, it's, it's okay to just be normal. Um, you know, we, we all have, you know, ra random life stuff. You don't have to appear like super lawyer all the time to, to be effective. In fact, I think it, it makes you look fake. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I am your host, Megan, joined again by Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hello. Hello, everyone. So it is Monday. Um, I had a busy weekend away from home. Um, so that always makes Monday morning super fun. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Was it a good away from home or a bad away from home? Oh, we were at the beach. So, you know, there's that's nice. That's yeah, nice. And great, great weekend to be at the beach. But um, now I'm, you know, having my Monday morning, like I didn't do my grocery shopping. I have no idea what anyone's eating all week. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. I have to, that's on my agenda as well today, grocery shopping. Yes. Like I have to, I'm like doing my Instacart order now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I can go pick it up. Exactly. I don't, I don't know what I'm making. I don't know what I'm having for dinner, but I guess we'll figure it out. You know what? That's when you call the pizza person. You come over and they drop off your dinner. <laughs> this is true. So I'm super excited for today because we have on Tamika Newson, who is the head of global legal at Energizer Holdings. Um, and I had talked to Tamika, like, I think it was a few months ago. And she just struck me with just, she's so impressive and just unbelievable to talk to and just so personable. Um, and I could not wait to have her on. And I think this is a, a little bit of spoiler, but I don't think this is going to be the first time she comes, comes on the podcast because we didn't even scratch the, the, the tip of the surface, I think, with her. What do you awesome. think? Absolutely. I mean, I she has so much to say, not only on being an attorney, but sort of navigating your family life, being extremely busy, needing help from, you know, as she puts it, like her village. Um, and she's so successful that you have to, you have to sort of uh, really admire her journey to becoming, you know, where she is now. Yeah. Super inspiring. And just like, I don't all around great person. So with that, let's bring her in. Good morning, Tamika. Welcome to the Defense of Rest. How are you today? Good morning. I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. Good. I'm so happy to have you. We had talked like, I feel like it was months and months ago. We just, I feel like we just hit it off on the phone. I feel like I could have talked to you forever. We did. We did. And I, I appreciate you indulging all my stories and thinking that it was interesting enough to be added to your podcast. <laughs> We're here to talk about a lot of things, but you are the head of global lit litigation for Energizer, which I I'm fascinated with because when you and I were talking, I'm like, it's not just batteries, <laughs> no. you know, so many huge issues that you have to tackle, you know, and navigate on a daily basis. So I think we're going to kind of get into some of them a little bit today. That's an impressive title too. I wanted to say that is an impressive. I was like, wow, like that, that gets you. I can, I, thought, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Well, thank you. It's, it's an honor actually to be able to work with this great team and this great company, this historic company with all of the um, interesting, you know, areas that we focus on. You know, it's not just batteries, it's batteries, it's lights, it's automotive, you know, we have armor all, you know, people don't really know all of the ins and outs of what we do. So it's a lot of fun stuff and I'll be happy to talk about all of that. But yeah, head of global litigation was a mouthful for me too. <laughs> and I can't help but point this out, but did you plan your shirt to match the Energizer Bunny behind you? I was just I thinking not. that. <laughs> I did well, not. Bravo. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, right? partisan, I'm partisan to pink. So it, it's, you know, most of the time you're, you're inclined to see some pink around and so it just matches the energizer bunny um I'm that's a some good company good company representation though yeah and, and my sorority representation i'm a member of alpha kappa alpha sorority and we're you know we wear pink and green that's uh, so yeah you're and the bunny just happens to to fall in line with that <laughs> well I, I think it's a happy coincidence i like it so i on this podcast we have on a lot of people in claims obviously and a lot of lawyers um and everyone has a different you know, way or avenue, how they got to where they are. Um, and, you know, on your road to law school, is that something like you had planned on, you had paid this path that you're going to go to law school or was it, did you kind of just end up there and then your career kind of took off from there? 
You know, most of my career choices have been very lucky, random happen happenings. <laughs> um, I knew early on that I wanted to go to law school, but I was a first generation college um, graduate. So the thought of going to law school was, you know, even above what I thought I could do. But after I got out of college, I, I worked for a year. I took a, a gap year and worked. And I was like, this is not what I want to be doing with my life. I was literally working in a dietitian's office, scheduling appointments. So yeah, that was not going to be the be all end all. So I was like, let me apply and see where, where I am. And I was in Minneapolis at the time. And I got into the schools I applied to and, you know, got money from, you know, a couple of schools. So I went where I got the most money and, yeah. and, and loved it, loved law school, loved the practice of law eventually. But I, I didn't know that it was something that was going to be an option for me or that I would really enjoy. Like, what was it? Because um, I come from a family, too, where, like, my parents didn't go to college. I was the first one to go to college in my family, and I'm the first lawyer in my family. So, like, I didn't really grow up around the idea of lawyers and law school. Like, that was very foreign to me. So, like, what was it that kind of opened that door for you to even want to go to law school? Well, I always liked the notion of being able to help people. And I think when I went to law school, the only probably like the only reference I had for law were the TV shows and, you know, the people that were doing criminal law and criminal defense. And, you know, you hear about all the injustices all over the world. And so I had in, in my spirit that I was going to be that person to go in and, and help people and give back and you know, and then here I am, you know, corporate lawyer, <laughs> 30 years down the road working for a company. But so it wasn't, you know, I didn't know what options we had as lawyers, but I felt like it was a noble profession. It was a profession. It was something I wanted to do, not just for myself, but for my family, because yeah. no one yeah. had ever done that before. Right, yeah. right. And I couldn't be a doctor because I couldn't, you know, do well in science. <laughs> do you have the math? Do you have the math thing as well where you can't do math? Yeah, no, I, same. I, okay, yeah, not at all. Yeah, and, and we'll have a funny story about that when we're talking about some of the global <laughs> work that I do. I'm like, don't send me anything in euros. I, I can't. <laughs> oh God, okay. no, no additional layers of having to right. do something math related. Just the basic one layer. Right. Um. Yeah, I I had a similar like I my parents didn't go to college either, and there there's no other lawyers in my family. And I remember when I graduated like the theme of my graduation, I never had a graduation party for anything else except law school. My mom's theme was like, we finally have a lawyer in the family. <laughs> but you know, like no one's ever asked me for a favor in, inside my family, really. Which oh is gosh, like, well, yeah. how blessed are you? <laughs> <laughs> right, I agree. People think that if you're a lawyer, you can do anything. I can't close your real estate deal. I can't get handle your divorce or do your divorce or your child custody. I can't, I can't do any of that. <laughs> so they were like, well, what a good are you? <laughs> you can't do any of that. But so I always say to people though, it, you know, you wouldn't go to a, a bone doctor if you have a brain injury. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's like the same right. thing with lawyers. Like, yeah, you can have a general understanding of things, but a lot of us are sort of specialized in like a couple areas. So it's different. Yeah, I think my family's fairly resolved that I'm not good for much except advice and maybe employment and job movement. <laughs> exactly. Like, you're probably really helpful being like, oh, well, I know somebody else who can help yes, you with that. Right. I just cannot do that. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The referral lawyer. But you know, one of the blessings I think in being a first time lawyer, and you guys back me up on this one, um, in your families, you don't know any of the things you're not supposed to do. You don't know how historically, you know, law firm practice was supposed to be and how to be an associate. So I think I broke a lot of rules that ended up working for me just from a lifestyle perspective and a career perspective, because I didn't have any notions about doing it any other way. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. It's like, you don't know that there's maybe doors that are closed to you or that like should be closed to you because it's like you said, it's just, everything is new. So you just walk through them. You don't have, there's no like obstacle in front of you. So it is, it's like kind of valuable in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys will love this. I had a baby my first year as an associate oh. at my first oh, wow. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought. Right, right, right. Yeah, and how, to have my family. Why not? And, and you were you 
I, if I remember, weren't you at a larger firm to start out? I was at a regional firm in Minneapolis, um, and it was it was large for that area. There were probably about 150 lawyers there, but there were no national firms back then. I don't age myself. It was like back then, you know, regional firms were the thing. And so, you know, a firm of 150, 200 lawyers in Minneapolis, that was a pretty big firm. So how did they take the news when, you know, you said you were taking leave? Because you, maybe at the time you didn't think any anything of it. I remember when I had, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I was like stressing over delivering this news to the, the male hierarchy <laughs> that was there. Yeah. And like, like legitimate worry, like how is this going to affect my mm-hmm. career path? Did you have any of those same like feelings? Yes and no. I like I said, I was just you know, dumb enough to not know how big a deal it was. Um, but add a layer to it. How about so? I was clerking at the Minnesota Supreme Court um, my first year out of law school, uh, and I'd gotten married, and I got pregnant during my clerkship. Well, I had already received an offer to join the firm that I was going to. And I hadn't told them that I was pregnant. And so I was about four months pregnant when I finally told them, I said, you know, it was probably what about, I guess it was July or so. And I was supposed to start in August. And I'm like, hey guys, (laughs) by the way, I'm almost five months pregnant. Would you like me to start or would you like me to wait? And they were great, actually. I mean, I think they they knew enough to know (laughs) what they could and couldn't do. Um, but at the same time, they were like, it's up to you. If you want to start, you know, you can, you can start and you can take your time off. You can, you know, do what, you, you know, spend whatever time you choose to spend with your, with your baby and come back or you can wait. And me being so anxious. And so this is the afraid part. I think I, I was afraid if I waited, that would give them some incentive or some option to, to not let me join. So I went ahead and started. So when I literally walked through the door my first day at the firm, I was five months pregnant. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was, it was very different. And when I tell you the, the looks, the comments, the, oh man, it was, and not even from the male attorneys as much sometimes as the female attorneys, you know, men, they know this is off limits. Let me not. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, I can't say anything about that. <laughs> yeah. But it was very interesting. And this was 1998, 98. What do you think the female attorneys were or the female staff members like where do you think their judgment was coming from was it like why did you bother or like you should be at home like you're pregnant like what do you think their their judgments were coming from. Well, it was twofold. It was like I had some associate level attorneys who were like, how do you do this? And, you know, really asking questions like, what did you do? Did you plan this? Did you have, who did you talk to? You know, like it was some secret society of you know women who figured out how to be pregnant as an associate at the firm. <laughs> and then there were the, the partner or shareholder level attorneys who were kind of like, well, I didn't get to do that. And why is this now an OK? Maybe some jealousy. Over. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah so. Um, did you feel the need to like over, like kind of overcompensate for it in a way? Like I, I just remember for myself, like I, I felt like I needed to work that much harder during that, that time leading up to my leave to prove that like, no, this isn't going to stop me. Like yeah. <laughs> You will miss me when I'm gone. Look how great I am. Oh, of course it was. It was very challenging because like I said, I'd never been in a law firm. I didn't even uh, clerk at a firm during my, um, you know, um, law school period. So I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. Um, and so you're like trying to work really hard at something you don't even know how to do yet. <laughs> so it was, di- it was, it was difficult, but I had really good mentors. I will say that I had, I had good mentors at the firm. I was the first black woman that, you know, joined. And there was another woman that was with me at the time she ended up leaving, but, you know, so we were like two unicorns there. They'd never had a black woman. They'd never had a, a, a female associate, um, you know, pregnant first year. I mean, it was a whole lot of never hads that people were, yeah. you know, trying to navigate with me, but I did, I did really try to show that I was a hard worker and this was before telework was really a thing. You know, I have to print out everything that I wanted to work on and take it home with me every night and that sort of thing. But I really, I, I did that. And, and I tried to, to make sure that people knew that I really was committed to being there, but it was so hard. And, and you know, multiply that five years. Like I had three babies in five years. Oh, um, wow. So yeah, I didn't stop. <laughs> 
that you kind of got it out of the way too. Like, yeah. like if you're yeah. in if you're in that space, you might as well just knock them out. <laughs> just mm-hmm. have it be super dirty and chaotic. All hey, really like front loaded some of the most <laughs> stressful things that you could do all in one spot. Insane. And you know, I look back on it and go, I don't know how on earth I did. I'm so thankful that I did it that way though, because it really did make the most sense for my life. And that's the one thing that you know, I, I tell young uh, attorneys now, I'm like, do what makes sense for your life because work is going to always be there in some fashion or another. If it didn't work out there, it would have worked out somewhere else. And just taking away that notion that this is the only thing that I can do or have to do really makes it easier to make some of those important decisions. But yeah, I, I made partner at the firm um, this, what was it? September, I think, and right after I had my third son. Wow. Well, I still make partner on time. On time. <laughs> awesome. Well, they're probably like, man, this girl can do anything. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was good mis- mentorship and good sponsorship, I have to say, because I, there, was, there was one male attorney that I worked with at the firm throughout, and he championed me like to the, to the nth degree. Now, mind you, he taught me how to practice law. He was someone who just invested in me, decided I was good enough and was going to be a great lawyer and partner. And I, I think without that, um, if, if you don't have that, I think it's very, very difficult to do what I did. Yeah, I would. I agree. Like it's you kind of need someone in your corner at the top to like kind of be your voice, too, because you're not sitting at that, you know, shareholders table meeting, you know, no. at, so you need someone who's going to be like, no, she you know, she does great work or like, cause you know, there's going to be in that room behind closed doors, you know, there's going to be some naysayers like, well, she's had three kids. Like, oh yeah, you know, like, or even like the first time, like, is she really going to come back? Like I, I got that comment mm-hmm. to my face. <laughs> so, you know, and I feel like there's just that mentality that you have to be like, no, no, though. Like I, I have a career. I, you know, just because I'm having a child doesn't mean I'm like putting my career to the side. When I was pregnant with my third son, this uh, male partner who had like five kids comes up to me and says, but don't you have two already? <laughs> it's like, I didn't know there was a quota <laughs> or right. a maximum, but yeah. <laughs> when you started practicing, did you start practicing in litigation or were you in the corporate, in the corporate sphere at that point? I was in the litigation department at my first firm, but really hyper-focused on employment law. So I, I really became an employment lawyer on the corporate defense side, though. It, again, nothing that I expected to do. I knew I wanted to do litigation, and they had a real dire need at the firm at the time um, for employment. And so I started, and I loved it. Um, and so I was an, primarily an employment litigator for the first you know, 20 years of my practice. Um, did some other types of litigation here and there because I was at a couple general practice firms and they knew that I liked to try cases and be kind of in the mud with, with folks, which was another thing that I encouraged people to do. I'm like, step outside of what you do sometimes if you want different experiences and you want to learn a little something because I got trial experience just because I was willing to work with a partner that nobody liked. And he had a lot of trial work and, and again, he was hard. He was a hard person to work for. Um, but, and it was doing like securities arbitrations and, and litigation. I knew nothing about any of that, but it got me a different level of experience that was super important for me down the road to be able to say, yeah, I've done some of this stuff. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And it's also, that's okay to work for like the unliked partner. Cause sometimes you can just like, you did get some of the best experience and, mm-hmm. you know, they might be tough and they might push you in some ways, but the, that push is going to make you better at your job. Yep. Absolutely. Now, have you found though that it has changed, like the trial experience aspect has really changed. At least I, I've seen it on my end that I did get a bunch of trial experience early on and now you're just not seeing the trials or may, or maybe it's just the way my, the way my practice has moved. And maybe I was seeing trials more in a different kind of area, but I, I just don't think we're getting that same experience as, you know. Well, I think you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. People don't try cases anymore, especially in the corporate arena. If they don't, if there's a way to avoid it, most of the time you do. And, you, and I get it now that I'm in-house on some level, you're like, I'm going to have to pay all this money for this trial. And I still have this risk involved. If I can get out 
of this issue with a certain defined um, cost, a lot of times it makes sense. You know, we as a company don't operate like that. There are certain things, certain principal things that we will go to the mat for. But I think in general, people aren't trying cases as much anymore. Some of the ones that are trying cases are trying frivolous, ridiculous cases, which makes, I think, the entire profession look bad. But, you know, and, and even like, you know, because most of my practice in federal court, young lawyers aren't even getting to go to like hearings anymore. Like we used to have a hearing for scheduling conferences. We used to have a hearing to talk about discovery issues. All of that's either done by, on paper or, you know, the court just sends you stuff. So I don't know how young lawyers are getting any real practice in front of the court anymore. Yeah. And, and then you throw a pandemic on top of it and it's like totally right. changed, you know, the playing field as to, to what, like what you're appearing for. And like, to some extent, good. I do appreciate not having to go into, into a building for a scheduling conference if, it, right. if I don't have to, but those are very valuable things to do as a younger attorney, just to like, I remember the first time I had to go to a, like, it was a discovery court hearing and they, you know, they needed my uh, attorney number. And I was like, Oh God, <laughs> I need to come with that thing. And I, <laughs> thankfully it was on like the top of a pleading, but I was like, I don't know my number. <laughs> I filed it. <laughs> yeah, I've been mistaken for the, the paralegal, the secretary, the everything but the lawyer in a few courtrooms, which is always interesting to me because you're like, because I'm young, because I'm a woman, because I'm black, you know, that, that part of navigating the legal landscape is really just always going to be, um, that's the quagmire of things you have to figure out and navigate for yourself. I do think it's getting better, or maybe it's getting better depending on where you, what region you are. I think, like, I, I haven't seen it as much in, I think, like on the Northeast, at least in the New York counties and the Philadelphia counties, I don't think that isn't happening as much, at least in my experience. Melissa, Melissa might be able to speak to it a little bit better than I, I can, but well, I think we're seeing improvement. You know, I, I still, and it's not everyone, but there is still sort of like for me, and I've been out for about 10 years now. And I remember um, a couple of years ago, I was in court and um, I was working on a big construction defect case. And there was another attorney who was friends with the partner who was working on the case that with me. And I remember we were in court and he like turned to me and he was like, oh, what, you know, are you just out of law school? And I had just, like, he was coming to me on a regular basis for updates on what was going on in the case and like when the next conference was and all this, you know. And I was like, why would you assume that I'm just out of law school? Like, is it because I look young or is it whatever? And it could have been completely innocuous but you still, you wonder, you know, it's like, why, why are you making that judgment? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like for what reason? Yeah. So I don't know. I've had it a lot. I even had it, have had it recently where I had this um, older white male lawyer. We're talking, you know, negotiations on a, on a litigated matter for the company. And he's like, well, you know, I don't see you with any gray hair or anything over there. So you probably don't remember when we do this, this way, or this is how we, so I'm like, are you aging and mansplaining me all at the same time? Like, and then I have to tell him, I'm like, yeah, I've been practicing for 25 years. I, I think, you know, gray or no gray, I understand exactly what you're saying. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. <laughs> right. And like, I, maybe I'm naturally blessed to not have gray hair, or maybe I have a really good colorist. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. But it was just the presumption and yeah. the willingness to even share that presumption is like, yeah. like are you yeah. kidding me? So, I mean, it's happened throughout the different points in my career. And I think that I've just learned to kind of take that, put it in my back pocket, usually rip the life out of whoever's done it in one fashion or another, because it's just, I can. Um, But if you focus on it too much or, or let it bug you too much, it'll only stifle you is kind of how I look at that. I'm like, the world is, is the world. You can't change it. All I can do is continue to operate as positively as I know how through it and, and try to be an example to others who want to, who want to follow my lead, but it's, so there's a lot of ignorance out there. Yeah. It's kind of like you take it with a little like 
a measure of grace, but then you, you kill them softly. <laughs> yep. Yep. All my friends know, like if, if I'm like being real rowdy and funny and, you know, swearing and stuff, that means I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good space with you. If I get very articulate and start throwing out those million dollar words, they're like, oh, she's pissed. <laughs> so at what point, you know, did you transition out of private practice in, into in-house practice? And how was that, how did that transition go for you? So I moved officially from private practice to in-house in 2019. So I've only been an in-house lawyer for the last what, three years, right, you know, literally almost right before the pandemic. Um, so I did 22 years in private practice and it was, it was something that I still, even when I made the move, I wasn't sure that I was going to like it because in my mind, I thought in-house lawyers just kind of sat around all day and pushed paper and didn't really do anything fun or interesting. You know, I thought we had the more interesting part of the, the law practice, but I was always kind of leaning toward, you know, private practice being where the real lawyers were, you know, and, um, but I got this opportunity where, you know, a friend of mine were like, um, you know, there was this job, I think you'd be great at it. It's in-house, um, you know, and it was work, it was more employment leaning at the time, a little bit of litigation, a lot of corporate work. And I was like, well, maybe um, I'll check it out. It was an insurance company. So it's like, you know, I worked for Unum for, for from 2019 until just the beginning of this year, uh, 2022. And it was a great experience. I was like, okay, I see how this works. You know, we're making decisions that matter and working not just for a lot of different clients with disputes, but really trying to prevent disputes. I was like, okay, I kind of like this. I can see it's a much calmer life, um, much more predictable life, <laughs> which is nice, um, you know, transitioning too, because I'm starting now to think about, you know, end of practice time, like, how do I want to round out my, yeah. my, my yeah. practice? And then, you know, beginning of, uh, well, the end of last year, I had another friend, both of my in-house jobs have been through friends, let's put it this way, um, and people who have reached out to me, because I, I never sought it, I never sought it out. Um, but another, it was actually a former client now and friend, um, who reached out to me about this position that I'm in now as the head of global lit litigation. She's like, we've been looking for months for someone and, but we really want someone with a good fit. Someone's got great experience. And I, I met with the team and talked to them and literally, I mean, within about a month or two, I was like, I'm in. Um, and so I started in January of this year. So I'm only what, six, seven months in maybe. Um, well, and you know, a lot, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who've gone from private practice to in-house and the general, the first shock people talk about is going from like the billing to the non-billing and having suddenly like no longer being able to show that you were productive that day by a timesheet. And did you find that that change difficult or was it like, oh, ne never want to do that again? <laughs> It was different. I had gotten so used to billing. You know, people complain so much about billing time and billing hours. It wasn't, that was the least of my issues in private practice. That was just one of those things that you just had to do. It was just, so it was different to not have to do that. Um, but it wasn't, that wasn't the like big, you know, exhale that I, I had. I think for me, um, the, the bigger exhale was realizing that the things that I do on a daily basis make make a difference to you know the work environment that I'm in to the um the litigated matters of course but then to the risk management for for a larger organization and and just seeing how those decisions are made feeling like and this is sound terrible but feeling like what I'm doing actually matters has probably been the biggest change because in, in in private practice it was like yeah we're going to go defend this case yep yeah, we're going to go you know do our very best and, and, and try this or settle that. But you're literally moving from thing to thing all the time, from company to company. And of course you care, but at the end of the day, it's like, did this company lose money or did they not lose money? Do they feel like they got good value from my services or, or, or not? And, you know, just managing client relationships. It always felt like I was out there trying to um, collect um, relationships, collect things. And it was just a busy body kind of a life. Whereas now I feel like I, I just feel more settled. Like, okay, I know the scope of what I'm responsible for and the issues that are out there. 
in what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis just seem, feels like it means more and, and I'm able to make more of a difference. And it's kind of like you can't, came full circle as to why, like h- how you thought becoming a lawyer would, would serve for you. And now, now you're in that, that role, you know, cause you were outside of that, not outside of that, but it was different the whole time. It was, and it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I love private practice in the sense of, I always felt like a little bit like a cowboy, especially when I started getting my own clients and was able to really control my schedule a little bit more and got to do the things that I wanted to do. But, you know, at, you know, when you, you do that, or I did that probably about 10 years into the practice. And then it's like the next 12 years is just trying to accumulate more of the same. And at some point you're like, okay, um, how much is enough? I'm, I'm traveling. I was, I was traveling literally every week at one point that just got to be a huge grind. And so this, you know, the trade-off is, you know, make a little less money. Of course, everybody knows that, but, um, my life is a lot simpler. <laughs> yeah. And during that time, I mean, was it really difficult? And I'm sure that, yes, is the answer, but having like three young kids and then your, your husband was probably picking up a lot of the slack when you're traveling that much and you're missing things. All right. Um, well, it must've been hard. My, I had my mom um, literally move from Georgia to Minneapolis after I had my second son to help me with, with the kids, because yeah, my, my, I, I was, I was married at the time. I ended up getting divorced. Um, when my oldest was seven, I had a seven-year-old, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, wow. uh, and so, and then we moved back to Georgia after that, cause that's where my family was. But my mom has been there. I mean, the entire time for, for my boys. And without that, there's no way yeah. I could have done this. I don't know how people do it without help. And I mean, help beyond the husband because the husbands are good for what they're good for. But um, a lot of the times you need, you know, a little bit more than that, you know. And so my, my mom was just a godsend. I could not have done half of what I did without her being able to pick up from school, make that first meal. You know, I say first meal because with the boys, there was dinner part one and there was dinner part two. Grandma made yeah. the first one and I made the next one when I got home. So, you know, yeah, you, you got to have a network, a village of some sort to do that well and I'm sure then that they they probably have such a special relationship too with your mom they do they do I used to say she she had them grandma crippled because you know whenever she was around it was like they could do nothing they sit there grandma can you bring me a cup of water <laughs> and I was like I'm so not doing that so don't <laughs> I'm not grandma um but and and to this day they still love her so much my 17 year old he literally he's the only one still here, um, he'll go buy her house, take out her trash, you know, go to the store, just whatever it is she wants, you know, just to, to spend time. And I love that they have that relationship because, you know, a lot of families aren't able to do that. So it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. And it's special for them. Like they will always mm-hmm. like look back on that, like very fondly. Yep. Yep. So, okay. We got to talk about your current role as you know, the head of global litigation, because that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And, and just because I think about it as, you know, it's a lot to manage litigation in, in the United States and the, the, the varying venues and jurisdictions and how different it is from county to county, state to state. But if you take this on a global scale, I mean, I don't even like the differences in how different countries handle litigation and lawsuits. I mean, like when you came in, were you like, where did you even start to get a a handle on your role? Well, I had a a great uh, friend, the same one that recruited me, um, (laughs) who had done this role before. The one thing about our legal department is that we're very nimble, very small. And a lot of the people there have, have already done this on some level before. So I had people who were already there. It's like, let me just show you how this works here. Here's the list of matters we have in these countries. And these are the firms that we typically go to for different things. So I had a really, really good grounding when I started. Our general counsel had, had this role at one point. And so, you know, she's very easy to go to, to, to say, hey, what about this? What about that? So dealing with the actual litigation matters became the easy part pretty quickly because I knew, you know, if we had, and and like for 
most matters that are outside the country, we, we have council. I like to use council that have offices here, but have different locations yeah. in other parts of the world, because then, you know, you've got the ease of understanding your billing arrangements, your you know, engagements and everything. And then they have the job of connecting you with whoever is in the country that you need the assistance with. But there are some countries that don't um, basically it's impractical for lawyers here to work there, mostly the Latin American countries, which we have a lot, a lot of litigation there just because of the way that the country um, uh, handles it. its uh, labor laws and a lot of other things, a lot of quick turnaround, you know, um, agency matters and things like that. So we have to have local lawyers in those in those locations. And and our requirements are just that you speak English. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I tell you, when I first started and I was getting, you know, emails in French and, um, you know, in Portuguese, I'm like, what do I do with this? But I very quickly figured out the network of people that I could rely on. And I had to make some adjustments here and there because, you know, we had a lot of firms doing a lot of things. and and. I look at my role, part of that is figuring out how to be most efficient with our legal spend and, and, and making sure we're getting the best results. So I did make some council changes um, as I kind of looked at what we were doing and the scope of what we're doing and trying to get better rates and, you know, also looking at diversity issues. Diversity internationally is, is, is a little bit different um, than, you know, in the country, but I'm trying to balance all of those things and make sure that we have good representation um, for all of those reasons. Um, but that's just one part of my job. And I didn't, don't think I really knew that when I started. The other part is managing the internal risk on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you can imagine we have a lot of products in the market and we get a lot of consumer um, questions or complaints and issues like that. You know, those end up escalating to me as well to say, okay, is this an issue? Is this something we need to take back to our research and development or our quality team to, to look at this particular product or this particular you know, battery? Um, and so things like that come up my way as well. We even had a, a crazy person, and I'm going to say crazy person, um, not even being nice, who was <laughs> harassing you know, our executive team you know, a, 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 about a non-issue, really, just you know, saying, your batteries don't work. And and, and what are you going to do about it? And I'm going to call every day and you're going to pay me $700 a day for every call that I make. It was something ridiculous like that. Yeah. You know, I have to work with our internal team to figure out how do we manage this risk, this threat. And, you know, that has nothing to do with litigation necessarily. But I think my role ends up being kind of the drop box <laughs> in, in legal sometimes. We're like, we need somebody to help us figure this out. And um, so that part of it, when I say I feel like I make a difference every day, that that's probably the area where I feel more um, value add than others. Now, when you mentioned that the diversity on the global level is different, like, can, can you explain that a little bit to us? Like, how, how exactly is it different? Yeah, I mean, there's some locations where you're just not going to find diverse lawyers um and and, you know so diversity then becomes do we have women on the team yeah you know if if we have a matter that's in you know like ukraine russia you know those kind of places there's just not a lot of racial diversity but we you know we look at diversity in the bigger scope of thing diversity of thought making sure that everybody is well represented um so being mindful of where you are what the what the population looks like what the culture is you know and there's other places like latin america and, and our asian uh countries where everybody there is pretty much the same but you know it would be diverse by our standards here but you know so it's just being mindful of what diversity means and how we are um, exhibiting that in our relationships with other countries just making sure that they understand it's important now, Anna, I, I, and when you mentioned like Latin America and you bring up um, Russia and Ukraine, like they're, I mean, navigating their legal systems who in, with governments that are kind of corrupt. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, I feel like you're almost in the wild, wild west sometimes, like, because you, you, there's no way you're going to know. And I guess that's where local counsel really, mm-hmm. you know, comes to play. But you have to be able to trust that local counsel. Like, you don't really know for sure, like, they where, where they have, have their hands in and like but sometimes you know they might you might want them to be connected to 
you know, some of this in order to be able to make any, any headway on that. So that's got to be, you know, a very difficult water to navigate for you. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, though. You've got to, you've got to have local lawyers that you trust that um, understand all of those ins and outs in the system and, and know how to help you navigate around those, those issues and through them. I mean, to the extent that you end up embroiled in some sort of, you know, sticky situation. Um, and so that's another reason why if I feel like I have counsel that I can't entirely trust or that, you know, is saying something that sounds off to me. I'm, I'm real quick to question it because especially in those, you know, locales, I, I need to know that you've got our back, that you're above board, you know, that you're, you're going to make the right decisions because I don't have the knowledge or the skill set to do that. Um, and just settling into that is, is probably a big piece of it too, because we're so used to being the experts in everything. Um, at least I know I was. And so saying, okay, I have no idea what to do with this, you know, environmental, um, you know, regulation in whatever country, you know, Australia, you know, how do, what do we need to do with our packaging there? What, what's different? Um, and just asking and really learning about all of those you know, different requirements that we have. I've been, you know, I just had to open my, my brain up to, to, the, to the reality that I just don't know this stuff. And so I'm going to need help and I need to be able to trust and rely on what I get. Yeah. But that's okay, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's easier. And that, that's, I think, part of the, the great thing about moving into an in-house role is that you are no longer the person who has to solve the problem. Now you're the person who has to just to find the right people to solve the problem for you and report back. <laughs> yep, yep, that's exactly right. Um, and when people are not able to give me good definitive answers about things that's the worst and and I never you know being outside you don't realize kind of the things that are going to be quirks um on the inside but if I ask a direct question can we do this and I get a 10 paragraph response about or you could do this or you could do this or you could do that and I do that I'm like this is just a long CYA it doesn't help me those are not people I'm going to go back to and ask for an opinion again, because I'm like, I don't have time for this. Now I got to ask somebody else or I got to piece together what you just said to answer my own question. Yeah. And I I do think, I mean, that is something that a lot of us, you know, in private practices, there's a lot of CYA. And I think that sometimes there's a panic when you get that direct question, but what if I say yes, and I'm wrong, so, you're like, so I need to like really dive into this and just like give 14 other options. <laughs> yep. I, you, you see that. And, and that's just, that's not helpful. No. <laughs> it's just not. I'm like, I need you to make a call. And if you can't make a call, say it's close and I can't make a call because of this. These are the considerations. Yeah. But don't, you know, give me all of the options. And I'm like, I could have probably done that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's okay to be like, I, you know, I can't make a call. These, these, you know, this is why, and this is the risk. And then, you know, if you, as the client want to take that risk and say, okay, let's, you know, let's just do it then, then. Yeah. Then it's calculated. We understand what it is. We do that all the time. You know, you, you're going to make calculated risk. There's no, no decision that we're going to make on a day-to-day basis. That's a hundred percent, you know, judgment proof. <laughs> it's just, life is not that simple. And the stuff that we deal with is not that, that straightforward most of the time. So I'm good with a, I don't know, but if I had to weigh the options, I would lean towards this. And here's why that, that let's work with that. But, you know, I think a lot of people aren't as secure in their own knowledge and judgment and they really will default back and, and I don't know, that's, you're going to lose work. You're going to lose business that way because most in-house lawyers don't have time for it. And they won't come back and ask another question. So, <laughs> I mean, because I got, I got one opinion where I was like, maybe I should go back and just say, I need five bullet points because I didn't even read it because it was, it was just long and convoluted. And I was like, this is not answering my question. But what I do, I moved on <laughs> to the next person that I thought could answer the question because I don't, I don't even want to come back to you now because you're going to bill me another for five hours, you know, to, to give me five bullet points, like, no. Um, and have you found like a difference in how 
attorneys in other countries communicate to you like a, a style communication that's different from you know what you see in you know around in the united states like through the, the u.s legal training system like outside the u.s you see a different way of communicating yeah i mean it's called cultural though i think more so than you know some people being nicer than others i think everybody just kind of defaults to whatever their cultural norms are some people are extremely short like you know um our some of our um, Asian uh, countries, you know, I'll get just really short. Here's this, we need this, this is that. And that's absolutely fine because I know culturally they're just not, you know, gonna expound on a whole lot of, you know, what I'm sure they perceive to be unnecessary, um, (laughs) nice things, you know, and then some countries are just way more flowery and, you know, (laughs) but I I don't get the sense that they're, you know, treating, me any differently than they would any other you know client or customer I think it's just cultural things and so you get used to kind of just fielding what you get and not taking any of that personally um it's some of the U.S. lawyers that are more difficult I don't know why it seems like we have more (laughs) ego um brought up in what we do um and this is just my opinion um in my experience sometimes like let's just, it's, it's okay to just be normal. Um, you know, we, we all have, you know, ra- random life stuff. You don't have to appear like super lawyer all the time to, to be effective. In fact, I think it, it makes you look fake, like just be normal. You know? mm. And so like, you know, I had this uh, you know, lawyer in France who was like, you know, you're not going to catch me between, you know, 12 and two, because I'm French. I take lunch, you know, so I can live with that, you know, but I don't know. It's, I, I think the biggest turnoff for me um, is to, to, to come across counsel that just is so formal and so like pretentious and, you know, just can't get a good chuckle out of them for, for anything. Yeah. We, we need a laugh. We need to just feel like, um, you know, we're, we're, we're moving in the same space sometimes with people and that, that that lack of warmth that ego that pretentiousness I just I don't do well with that and also what you must see is you know in the, at least in the European cultures I mean they take holiday you know pretty much I think two months of the summer like so you know is that just understood across the board like nothing is going to happen oh, I think what is what holiday I think it's July and August like just nothing's happening nothing's open <laughs> Like, why don't we do that here? Yes. I know. It what is wrong really, with this country? Why are we not taking two month holidays during the summer? Yeah, it makes me a little jealous because they are very good. But you know what? I think what I'm finding, and, and mind you, I'm only you know, six, seven months in, is because I work with a company that works with people all over the world. I, the, even the US employees are much more likely to take vacation. And, and it's normalized. It's still something I'm getting used to. Like I said, I took the day off today just to hang out with my husband because we both had down, you know, down, nothing crazy going on. If you had told me 10 years ago that I would do something like that, I'd say you're insane. There's no way I can't lose a, a Monday. Like <laughs> who does that? Yeah. And I think the culture of the company as a whole is much more laid back because we have those relationships with people all over the world. And there are times like I, I, I try to keep up with my, my calendar, like what holidays are where, because you know, if I'm not hearing from one of my colleagues in, you know, uh, Latin America somewhere, I'm like, is it carnival? Like, what's going on? You know, so it, it also keeps you abreast of some of the other things that, that are going on in the world because they, they are going to take their holiday and they're going to take off for their different events and, and, and things. And I just think it's great. And as a company, we do support it. And I think it has bled over, like I said, a, a little bit to our US colleagues where people just feel more comfortable living life and enjoying life, which is a great thing to see in a corporate environment. I just wanted to know, I'm so curious about all of the different international court systems. Is there, is there, are there any um, countries in particular whose you know, court system, trial process, sort of has struck you as being either, you know, just so starkly different to America's or maybe perhaps more effective, you know, what, what, what have any countries sort of stood out for you? Um, 
I may be a little early in the game to to answer that because I haven't had I haven't gone to trial in any other country so far. Because um, I understand if we do, I probably have to go um, yeah. and be there. Um, so, but with the procedures, the only things that are noticeably different is that. Um, some like a lot of our um, Asian countries have a, a really long timeframes in getting things done. Some of our Latin American countries have very, very short turnarounds. I mean, you might get notice of a, a case today and in 10 days you have to file some sort of response or have some, okay. and they have a lot more hearings, um, yeah. you know, in some of those countries. Our European cases, you know, they, they're, they're very few right now that I think we have. But they seem to move very slow. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that because there's a whole lot of holidaying going on right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I don't I don't know that I've got the bandwidth yet to really dive into that. Answer. Oh, no. But even so, what you said is that that's interesting, even just like the, the process, you know what I mean? Obviously, I would expect the UK to be similar to, to ours since our system is based on theirs. But, right. you know, like I, I, I have no understanding of how sort of like the, you know, Asian countries, how, how their court systems work out. So, no, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, like, and, you know, thankfully, there's some countries where we just don't have a lot of, of issues in. And hopefully it stays that way. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine a few countries. I just wouldn't want to, I just, nope. I just yeah. don't, don't want to touch. And I mean, I know it's probably early because you haven't um, had any cases go to trial, but have, you know, have you noticed a difference in when, like when the attorneys report to you about like expo- like potential exposure and risk, how it varies according to, you know, where where you're located i mean obviously in the united states it varies for mm-hmm. instance, if you are in new york it's much different than if you are in you know mobile alabama you know so you know had, has there been anything that surprised you about um like exposure risks in any certain countries um it's so different from lawyer to lawyer so i'm i'm, I'm hesitant to even say that there's a geographical difference i've noticed because in some you know same geographic areas I've gotten different experiences just depending on the lawyer um I think there's a a lot more of a sense that you're going to settle things um abroad in general than than to drag it out the trial most of the time it makes the most sense anyway because there we don't we haven't had since I've been there anyway any major um litigation in outside of the U.S. that would would make us I take that back. We have, <laughs> like, let me take that back. <laughs> we, we had a case in Canada that we actually did try that we were in the midst of trial um, when I, when I started. But other than that, I mean, I think the lawyers tend to just say, here's how you can make this go away. And, so, and, and sometimes that makes sense, but I, I still want to hear the full scope of what happened. How much will it cost us to try this case? Um, what are the potential damages? And so there have been a few times where I've had to go back and say, can you give me the full overview of, of what's at risk here? Instead of saying, you can make this go away for $5,000. We may still do that, but I at least need to understand the scope of what we're working with. So, but like I said, I don't see any geographic differences there. I think it's just different lawyers that we work with, um, that sometimes we'll just be trying to get get to the quick, and I'm like, wait, wait, let's let's back up. I, I need to understand a little bit more about what we're what we're dealing with here. Yeah, and I guess that's fair because even like in our office, if we roundtable something, that the everyone has it as values and stuff. Everyone has a different place where they think things are valued at. It's it, I think it's very interesting to see the different perspectives um, of what one person will think a case is worth versus the like someone sitting across the table. You're like, really? <laughs> right. Well, and working with the business is, you know, a, a, an interesting piece of that too, because I have my own opinion, you know, as a lawyer and as a litigator, like what the value of this is and, and how much, and, and does it make sense from a business perspective um, to resolve it? And, you know, sometimes I'll take that back to the, the different business leaders and, you know, they just depending on how they feel about the particular issue or the particular, you know, complaint, sometimes it'll be, oh, make that go away. We don't care about that. And then other times they'll be like, no, we're going to spend the money to flesh this out because that was wrong. And we don't we're not we don't agree with that. And that's going to be difficult down the road from a business perspective for us if we allow this situation to continue. So 
you know, knowing that my sense of what makes sense is only going to make sense if it aligns with the business um, is a whole other piece of it too. So I've been trying to get to know people across the, the, the company who are responsible for the different areas because I want to know who to call when this particular issue comes up and, and let them know this is here. Is this important to you? And if so, how would you like, how would you like for this to come out? I always like to ask people, what, what's your best case scenario here? And then try to do my best from a litigation perspective to get us there. Yeah. And that has to be a new challenge for, for you as well as navigating like the, the, the back room of the whole business operations on, you know, and you're, you're just a, a, you know, a department in this very large company. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many business and then you might not be privy to everything that else is going on in those other rooms. So you, you know, you have to navigate this with what information is given to you. Yep. Yeah. And it's been a more, like I said, that's the more interesting part, I think, of the, of the job, because, you know, I, I've been litigating for forever. I know how to do that. I know how to manage that um, and, and come out, you know, most of the time with good results. But working with the teammates who have a different level of expertise, who have, who are doing just quite frankly, really cool things from a business perspective that I've never been able to be on the inside of that. Of course, we have all represented companies that do a lot of cool different things, but being on the inside and saying, okay, how, how do we look at this product? How, you know, how do we get here? And what, what are the risks for you from a, from a, you know, uh, product perspective, from a sales perspective, from a you know commercial perspective, and and aligning all the interests and making sure that whatever decision we're making on a for, you know forward basis from a litigation perspective, or even just you know making business deals. You know, I talk, I work with our other lawyers who we have team leads. You know, from the battery team lead, the automotive team lead, the lights team lead to say, what issues are you seeing um, that might pose a risk that might come back from, to a, you know, a litigated kind of matter? And then, you know, going out into the business and, and kind of figuring out, is this a real issue? Is this a concern? Um, and hearing from them, it's, it's been really, that's been fascinating to do. And, you know, I have to say kudos to, to my teammates too, who are, everybody is just kind of like, there's too few of us to be, you know, trying to hold on to stuff. <laughs> Like everybody's like, we're doing this, we're doing this. And so I had a really cool situation in a deposition the, uh, the other day where, you know, we're talking about things that I know are coming down the pike with another situation and matter that I'm like, we don't really need to be uh, testifying about this. I need to tell this lawyer that this is a business thing that we're working, you know, it shut that down. You know, I wouldn't have known that, but for talking to the business leaders, about this completely separate situation, and you know the 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 legal team lead about what was going on with that, and so you know just having this cycle of communication and, and knowledge base, I feel like I've learned like a ton just from the different areas that I've had to talk to and work with, uh, and so that's what makes this fun and interesting because you know the legal practice is yeah, stifling or it can be. And I still feel like at this age, I hit 50 last year. I'm like Aww. this age, I'm still learning something and, and it's feeling fresh and new. So I, I'm, I'm enjoying that part. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that part up too, because it's like, it, it, it's such a huge factor. Like, like think about like the, something going on in the business side and there's, you know, that there's a deposition going on and you're like, wait, we can't have this testimony out there. Um, but you can't prevent it from happening unless someone is funneling it to you. You can't know mm -hmm. everything that's going on without someone letting you know. Yep. <laughs> and your counsel's yeah. probably not going to know either. No, I mean, because, you know, there's for every issue that you know about, there's probably 10 others that are brewing, right? And so we're not going to know about everything. But to the extent that people know, you know, know me and know what I do and, and are comfortable coming to me, that's another piece we didn't even talk about that whole being available and I don't mean the sense of you know just answering the phone but really you know extending yourself so that people can get to know you and they feel comfortable bringing you things this is one of those roles where if people don't like you or if they don't trust you or if they don't think you're going to to make a good decision they're not going to bring you stuff you're not going to know about it and it's going to make the job very very hard yeah um yeah. 
So I'm always very conscious of really trying to build relationships. And that goes back to the private practice because you don't get clients if you don't build relationships. So all those skills kind of have helped me be where I am now. Well, it helps that you're, you're you're pretty personable too. (laughs) I try. (laughs) I try. People might like you and you, you make it, you have a very comforting, like warmness about you, even though you might be, you know, might be able to like be a cutthroat litigator, but you still have a warmth. And I think that's very important. Even if you, I think it's important in this, in this profession, you know, to have a warmth, but still be able to like be effective at your job. I agree. I agree. And it just makes it more fun. We spend what probably 80% of our lives doing, doing work. And if you're not enjoying it and you're not enjoying the people around you, it, it's, it's going to make for a miserable life. So, you know, I, tr- I try to, I try to get to know people. I feel like I've, I've, I've established some really great relationships over the years from, you know, other associates that I've trained to, you know, other colleagues that I've had. I think the fact, you know, I always talk about the fact that I got my two in-house jobs from people who knew me and not from me looking for anything. And I, I think that that's all just because I really do think it's important to develop a network, to be a good person, to help people where you can. And it always comes back, you know, that's that, you know, that, that kismet, I guess, when you, when you do good, um, it comes back to you. Yeah. And I mean, that is the best way I think to, to find jobs and advance your career forward is like, it's who, you know, and making like good, genuine connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear very few people who like find amazing jobs just by applying to like a posting. It's just, it's too hard. You have to like get, have someone on the end to get your, your resume or your information seen by who, you know, who needs to see it. That's very true. And, and I didn't, you know, I heard that, but you don't really realize it until you start moving in, in, in those circles. And I was like, there, most of the time people know who's going to get a job because they know who they've reached out to. They know who they've got in mind. Um, if someone randomly applies and gets that job, it's, it's just a rarity that they're going to, you know, that that happens. Um, in, in, you know, the legal ranks in the, in the corporate world, I think, um, so it, it's been very, very interesting. Um, well, we are just about, well, we are pretty much out of time, but I didn't want to close up without without asking you this. So, you know, you, you made it so far into your career and you've been super successful. I mean, you, you're, you're the firms and stuff that you've worked at are wildly impressive. <laughs> and now you're in a, a super impressive role now. But what advice would you give your younger self now, knowing everything that you've experienced throughout the duration of your career? The practical advice I think I would give would, would, would be to, to slow down and really take more time, more, more home time, more family time, because that is the stuff that you're never going to get back. Um, and you don't realize that when you're in the rat race, um, career advice, I probably would have said that I should, I should have gone in house sooner. And I don't think, you know, if you'd asked me again, five years ago, I'd be like, no way I should have gone in house sooner because I actually feel like there's way more growth opportunity on this side of the house than I expected. And I'm having a lot more fun. (laughs) I think that that's great advice and even it's good advice for something like for me to hear and I think Melissa to hear because we're like both in like the thick of the you know the private practice part of it and the and yet the the reminder just to slow down and enjoy you know what's going around you not and not just focusing on billing 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 you know all the like cases and all that absolutely Um, I promise you I would be at my kids events like I didn't miss major things that was that was too important to me but I'd be sitting at a soccer game, hit knee, knee deep in, in emails and, and phone calls. And while you're present, that's part of it. I wasn't really present, you know? Right. And so I, I, I want to be in the moment. And my, my poor, you know, 17 year old is now like. <laughs> <laughs> you're too in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to work, mom. Right. Like, oh. <laughs> How did you know that? You know, you know, like, don't you have a test tomorrow? Why do you know these things? <laughs> I'm living in the moment. Get over right, it. Right, right. 
go back to your emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the focus on me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Tamika, thank you so much for taking the whole day off to, to chat with us. I yes, truly... thank you. <laughs> yes, um, well, my pleasure. I'm going to go golfing now. <laughs> oh, that's a nice day. Yes, beautiful here. I'm going to try to enjoy the last of the summer. It's been, you're going to talk about the weather, right? It's, oh, God, it's... don't talk about the weather. <laughs> right, because no weather has been terrible this summer. <laughs> this is... Here too, though, here too. <laughs> It's been, it's been really bad. Yeah, finally, finally, we have a break. It's, it's not as humid here. <laughs> God, we couldn't even make it. No, we cannot resist. Funny. But yes, it, so in, enjoy the time. Enjoy the, the round of golf and don't check your email. Take the full day off. I, I fully encourage it. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk to you all again. I appreciate being able to share and join your podcast. Thank you. And for all our listeners out there, if you like what you hear, always like and subscribe to the Defense of Arrest on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube at TDNR Podcasts.